Nothing discussed with Dr. Peruki in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation to take us from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and this limited series is brought to you by Evan Leong of Brain Gain Hawaii and my colleague Trisha Kajimura and me. And it's our hope that we'll offer insightful, helpful conversations that will take us through this period of COVID-19 and to whatever comes beyond that as we learn to live in truly a new normal that, that no one could really have ever predicted. On May Day, Hawaii entered a new phase in its response to the pandemic. Uh, the governor allowed low-risk businesses to open, albeit with modifications. And with those safety measures in place, we'll see how that begins to affect how people are feeling. Although even with this sliver of economic sunlight, there are still many other businesses which are not going to be able to open because they're closing forever. We've already seen several of those. And that's adding to the anxiety both for the business owners and for the people that they employ. We've got now almost 230,000 people who have filed for unemployment since the lockdown began. And while people are anxiously waiting to get their relief, many are taking relief into their own hands. Sales of low calorie and low price beers have sharply increased. Consumers are also buying wine and liquor too. Heather Peruki is the former director of behavioral health at Helping Hands Hawaii. She's now consulting full time with her own company, ChangeWorks, and she joins me to give us her take on how substance use is affecting Hawaii, especially in the most vulnerable populations. So hi, Heather, it's really good to talk to you. Hi, it's good to talk to you too. Thanks for having me and for including me in this incredibly important and prominent discussion. I appreciate the inclusivity. Well, I'm happy to talk to you because this is something that squarely sits with a lot of the people that, that, that you counsel. And with what we're seeing both in headlines and have seen from March on, when people began to think that they really needed to have something to get them through and seeing the posts on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and, and all, all through social media. Um, jokes, some of them, but some of them backed by a lot of seriousness too, where people were looking for something to take the edge off. Yeah. Um, I know you must be seeing this too in populations that you're serving that you know don't necessarily walk into a liquor store and, and buy a cheap beer. Right. You know, primarily my experience has been with high utilization. So folks who are, you know, chronic substance users, chronic users of alcohol, and especially my time in residential and my time at Helping Hands, we were really focused on the extreme side of the population, folks who, you know, couldn't get clean even if they really wanted to, um, that struggled with, you know, multiple inpatient hospitalizations, multiple inpatient treatment programs, and just really struggled with the chronicity of their addictions. And now, you know, since transitioning to ChangeWorks and, and since kind of diversifying the clientele that I work with, We've really seen an escalation in the last couple of months of folks who are really turning towards low alcohol or higher alcohol use more often to cope with the stressors of what's happening in our community. So 
I think this is an interesting discussion because anxiety to clarity indicates that there's something going on, that we're fearful and worried about something. And we're searching for some sort of understanding or clarity around, am I doing the right thing? Am I seeking the right coping skills? Am, do I have a problem? How do I know if I have a problem? And when you're in that quandary place, it's it's easy to slip over into the no i don't really have a problem but a little of this might be okay there's there's a lot of fungibility of, of responsibility how do you help people take that apart as you're as you are seeing what they're doing yeah i mean i'm a primarily what's called a reality-based therapist so mo much of my practice focuses on the here and now so if you are using alcohol as a means to cope with COVID-19, there's a lot of justification and rationale that goes on in our brain, right? Oh, this is just a response to a pandemic. Oh, this is just because I'm stuck at home. Oh, it's totally appropriate to have multiple drinks at nine o'clock in the morning because we're dealing with a global pandemic and this is how I'm dealing with it. And the first couple of questions that you want to ask yourself is, is this a sharp increase from what I was doing before? Is what I'm choosing to put into my body helping me or hurting me? Is how I'm reacting by using perhaps increased amounts of alcohol getting in the way of what I need to be doing or what I'm obligated to be doing? So somebody who maybe has been furloughed, somebody who's not working is gonna have a much different set of answers to those questions than somebody who's still expected to work full time from a home office or from a corner of their bedroom or the corner of their kitchen, wherever they can find, you know, refuge from um, the stressors of being at home, especially if they're not accustomed to trying to work a full-time job from their house. So how would someone really assess that? I mean, they, to ask the question, is this different than it was before? Have I increased? How do you ask them to think about that question when they may be very prone to justifying it either way. I mean, are we saying, you know, count the bottles that are in your house, count the cans that are in your house, how many times have you gone to the grocery store or liquor store and, and you know, bought alcohol? What are you buying? How do, how do you really get some measure of reality when you're asking the question, is this different now? Right, it's a great question. And I think it's different for everybody, but I think all of those are good questions. You know, if you, <laughs> excuse me, came home from work six weeks ago and had a beer with your partner or your friends in the driveway after work just to kind of unwind and transition to home and then didn't have anything else to drink for the rest of the night. And now at the end of your day, when your clock, you know, or your alarm goes off at 5 p.m., you're drinking a six pack. I would say as a clinician that that's starkly different than what you were doing six weeks ago. The other is, do you feel compulsed to do that? Or do you feel like you're ignoring anxiety, ignoring depression, ignoring frustration, and covering it up by the amount of alcohol that you're using? Some people can handle a six pack a day. Some people can't handle one drink a day. And so it really is, <laughs> it really is a, a, a self-assessment and a, a deeper understanding of what we as individuals can or cannot handle. You know, what I can handle is not the same as what my husband can handle or my sister can handle. So I think it starts with what's different. You know, has there been an increase? And if you've gone from one a day to six a day, probably something we should look at in terms of what are you not dealing with that you could be dealing with in a different way.
are people really able to look at that in these circumstances or are they still too close to it? It's a really good question. I think it probably, again, depends on the person, but I think most of us are scared. You know, a lot of the conversations have shifted from you can't leave your house to nothing's ever going to be the same. And for those of us that are habitual or used to our routines, we really like the security that comes with knowing what's going to come tomorrow. And so as a, as a response to a fear of the future, drinking is actually probably not going to relieve the fear. It might hide it for you, it might, you know, dull it for you, but most likely it's not going to solve any of that anxiety. And so I think that when people have conversations around, yeah, man, I've been drinking way more than I used to. It's up to us to sort of have those conversations with each other about, well, I mean, is it getting in the way? I understand as a clinician, I tend to be sort of unique to that. And because I don't really separate separate some of my therapist qualities from, you know, some of my personality traits, it's probably easier for me to say to someone like, let's say you all of a sudden are drinking six drinks a day, I can say, wow, Bethan, like, you never really drank before. That's, that's really interesting. And we can have a conversation around it. But I do think it takes some sense of accountability on the part of the person. But it also takes some awareness of what's changed and why it's changed. So to have a conversation about why it's changed usually takes a little bit of, I think there's something going on or I think something's wrong. For a lot of people, uh, alcohol is a depressant and makes things worse, which makes it strange to see that people are going after something that in the very, very short term makes you feel better perhaps, but then in the longer term doesn't. Is that idea not out there enough? I mean, when you talk to people and, and I mean, I'm just asking because in, in yeah. my, if I'm such a lightweight, for example, you gave that um, idea before or the example before that, you know, if that then we're drinking a whole lot every single day, you wouldn't be able to have the conversation with me because I'd be passed out on the floor probably after, you yeah. know, a drink. Uh, I know I don't handle alcohol particularly well, never have. Um, and then there are people I know who could drink me under the table for you know, one six pack, maybe even two. It's obviously what your body can handle. And then there are those right. people who shouldn't be drinking at all. And many of whom know that and, and are practicing sobriety. But for you know, the, the vast majority of the public, which sees drinking as being you know, the fun de-stressor, do we not really talk about the idea of what alcohol does in your body, despite some of these surveys that have come out to say that, you know, no drink is quote unquote safe for your body or no amount of alcohol is, is really safe? I mean, I have my own sort of personal opinions about drinking and that's, you know, been my experience as a human being with them. But I think we forget to talk about alcohol as a depressant because alcohol makes us fun. You know, that's the, that's the stereotypical belief of when you drink, you have a good time. And in talking about anxiety to clarity, again, anxiety creates an up in our body. And so when we drink alcohol, it subdues that. And we don't necessarily think about that as a depressant. We think about that as a, oh, it helps my anxiety alleviate. But we don't think about the fact that it's depressing our, our system. 
And so using alcohol as a means of coping may not be wrong or bad in one-off situations, but we do not have conversations in our community about how dangerous alcohol can be. I think there's lots of campaigns about it. And I think that they're doing a wonderful job getting a lot of information out about how excessive alcohol use can be really dangerous for our population, especially our young population, right? Especially our population with compromised immune systems, especially people who struggle with, you know, ongoing chronic illnesses, especially people who, you know, to go to the other side of the spectrum, especially people who deal with houselessness, right? It's a, it's a chronic kind of, you know, non-adaptive way to deal with stressors. And so if we're talking in sort of more of a global sense, I don't think that we have enough conversations about how dangerous alcohol can be, especially around things like driving, especially around things like putting ourselves in dangerous situations. But in the context of COVID and to, you know, be fair to this conversation, because I do have a tendency to sort of get on soapbox about, you know, you've got to be really careful about the stuff that you put in your body. Same as food, same as you know, illicit drugs and, you know, illegal substances too. You gotta be really careful about what you put in your body because largely we just don't know the long-term effects of that aside from what we've studied in the past. And so in, in the context of COVID, there's a couple of things that I would ask people to ask themselves. One, is there a remarkable difference between what I was doing two months ago and what I'm doing now? And the second question is, is it getting in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish? If for some reason you're able to take these two months completely off and be on vacation, maybe the answer to those questions is different than if you're trying to work from home and manage your family and manage your pets and manage other obligations, taking care of elderly parents. I mean, it depends on your obligations, but drinking as a means to cope with stressors is a really, really slippery slope. And it can become a problem before we really realize it. So is it different or is it something that I'm doing to escape what my obligations are or my frustrations are? And then the third question is, this is usually the trickiest one for people, but the third question is if my best friend came to me and asked me if I thought that was a problem because they were doing it, would I be concerned? And that's a hard one because now you're also asking someone to potentially jeopardize a relationship by not agreeing or uh, by not minimizing it. And, and that's really hard. And that goes back kind of to the heart of, of the anxiety too, the need to be accepted, to be you know, part of the tribe, all of that. And if your tribe right. is full of a lot of drinkers and maybe you're not, or you're the big drinker and the rest of the tribe really isn't, that you know, puts you at odds with people that you'd like to be close to or you think you do. How do you think we can do a better job of being able to have this kind of conversation about the dangers of it in terms of the depressive qualities of alcohol and how that thwarts someone who is maybe trying to deal with a lot of anxiety in their life, whether it's because of COVID or not, but especially as everybody is so homebound most of the time, even though in and out of businesses if we're masked and, and or have them you know come to us certain businesses i should say um at, without having you know the the threat of potentially passing on covid19 if it were even in our population more than we think it is uh, then there's some right. you know around all of that too and, and we've seen people protest over that as well so it seems that there's a lot of anxiety for many different reasons ramping up 
and the default setting seems to be use something to make it better and that something very often becomes alcohol. How do we redirect the attention to what alcohol can really do to your body in thwarting the very thing that you're trying to fix? I do think that we need to be careful about judging ourselves too harshly because we really are dealing with something that may not necessarily be unprecedented. I mean, these sorts of shutdowns or, you know, community closures have happened in our history. Most of us haven't lived through them, but, you know, I think we do need to one, recognize that this is really just an interesting time for all of us. There's all these restrictions and we have very little control we're largely not making our own decisions. And so this is stressful. This is an opportunity for us to really acknowledge that what we're dealing with is really hard. I mean, I've had a bout of the quarantine blues for about three weeks. And I'm a relatively well-adjusted human being who, you know, for all intensive purposes, has a really good grasp on my own mental health. But even I found motivation to be twice as difficult as it was a few months ago. I've found myself taking a little bit longer to respond to emails because I need to be more thoughtful and my brain feels kind of mushy and, and messy. I haven't felt well for the last couple of weeks. So I really just wanted to sort of sleep and, you know, is it, am I sleeping because I don't feel well or am I sleeping because I'm trying to escape from my responsibilities? And these are all questions that we have to ask ourselves while recognizing that what we're going through is really stressful. I think about the parents who have young kids at home that both work full-time jobs that are trying to navigate through this completely unnavigatable issue, you know, teaching their kids, putting food on the table, trying to figure out how to get groceries into their house while teaching their kids and working their full-time job. And a, a lot of them have told me that their bosses are actually expecting them to be more productive at home than they were in the office. And so I think that's a larger conversation about sort of the stressors of COVID. But the, the point of that is we do need to be really compassionate to ourselves in terms of this is what we're dealing with. And so if you like to unwind with a glass or two of wine at the end of the day, I definitely don't want to communicate that that's a bad thing. If you are managing in a way that you've been managing for the last five to 10 years, and it's been pretty consistent, that's not something you need to beat yourself up about right now. Using that as a way to sort of separate your work at home life from your relax at home life, and you, you know, don't see anything, anything maladaptive coming from that or anything, you know, getting in the way of your day-to-day -day obligations, then by all means, use that as your mechanism to unwind. The conversation that we're having around anxiety is that alcohol is not meant to be a treatment for anxiety. And using COVID-19 as an excuse to have poor mechanisms of control just because we're going through a global pandemic is not going to help you in the long run. And having that's the question asking everybody to ask him or herself is, is this yeah. different coping mechanism that's been adopted or been augmented to be able to cope with COVID? Right. That's and if you, and if you are, then you got to talk to somebody about it, have a conversation with a friend or your partner or your doctor. I mean, I've loved being able to email my doctor. Here's my symptoms. <laughs> what do you think's going on? You know, this, it's really been 
wonderful to be able to have a conversation with my medical professional about what I'm concerned about without having to like make an appointment and wait for the appointment and drive to the appointment and park in the garage and all of that. So, you know, if you're asking yourself the question, is what I'm doing different than what I was doing before? And the answer is yes. Then ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now trying to cope with something that I'm not really paying attention to, that I don't really realize? Am I treating my anxiety with alcohol? Okay, maybe the answer to that is yes. So then what's the next step? Well, the next step is to re reach out to your professional, whether that's a therapist to talk about managing your anxiety just around COVID, which is totally acceptable. It's completely appropriate to have short-term therapy to deal with a short-term stressor. You don't need to be in therapy for 25 years to deal with the response to a trauma. A lot of us are really grieving right now. We're grieving the loss of control. We're grieving the loss of, you know, having a beer with a friend after work at a bar and then going home. You know, we're, we're all dealing with the loss of that. One more time. Or the loss of a job and right. lifestyle and way of being. Uh, even for some people, myself included, just seeing shows that show life as we once knew it with people close-knit and together and being able to do things, people who aren't wearing masks uh, can sometimes be just a little bit painful to watch. And so you know, I, I, I clearly hear what, what you're saying about those differences. The thing that you're also pointing out is that telehealth is making such a difference in the lives of many people and can be making the difference for many, many more. Uh, a lot of insurance companies are covering telehealth fully. Mm -hmm. uh, many others, you can reach telehealth services if you have an employee assistance program. But this is all, again, supposing that we're talking to a certain population within our greater population. There are many people who are just now disconnected, and I know you see a lot of them too, and less the rest of us forget about those of us who are dealing with it in this way. What are you offering to a lot of the people that you are talking to, the people that you see on the street when you're walking your dog, when you're just out and about running errands very quickly to be able to grab food and come back and, and just feeling the vibe around you? How, how are you giving some of those folks a little bit of assistance in a way that maybe is different from what some of us are hearing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't changed much about my outreach personality. Um, I've been doing outreach work for the seven years that I've lived in Hawaii. And so for me, it's always been a little extra kindness outside of what you think sort of normal kindness is. Um, there's a small encampment down the street from my house. And so every time I walk my dogs, I smile and say hello because acknowledging another human being to me is normal. And so I haven't engaged in any conversation further than that, other than, you know, they, they say, oh, can we pet your dogs? And I say, you know, how'd you guys survive the storm last night? Or, you know, we have sort of normal conversation. Um, they haven't asked for help. They haven't indicated that they need help. But, you know, I think one is an extra dose of compassion. Know that when you wear a mask, people cannot see your face. They can't see the emotion and the kindness that you would normally just do automatically like smiling at a cashier or you know waving at somebody from your car you just you can't read people's faces the same way that you could um and so for me it's taking my compassion one level up and really making an intent to say thank you so much for being here so that we can shop for groceries or you know 
thank you for taking care of that for me or thank you for offering to carry my bags to the car you know just exercising a little extra compassion to our community really will go a long way and it doesn't actually require much on your behalf um and i think recognizing that the stressors that we feel in being cooped up in our houses and not being able to go out and you know be with our friends and our and a lot of us our families um is the same that everybody else is dealing with too and so everybody's level of stress is a little bit higher than it was you know two months ago um, and then again recognizing that we're gonna have an acclimation period into whatever the new normal looks like we just simply don't know how long are we gonna have to wear masks how long are we gonna have to you know, only use paper bags at the grocery store for, you know, contamination risk issues. How long am I going to have to stand six feet away from people every time I go shopping? You know, those are real questions. And so in my practice, um, which is both with individuals as well as with agencies, um, most of the conversations have been around how do I, how do I handle my stressors so that I don't stress out other people? And the number one answer is exercise kindness and compassion all the time, but don't blur your boundaries. Don't take on responsibilities that you cannot handle outside of kindness and compassion. Don't make promises that you can't keep to people. Don't assure someone that they're going to get two boxes of food at the food drop because they have a greater need. You know, exercise the boundaries and expectations that you can control because it will help you maintain a sense of control of your own self. And the second is to be resilient. Understand that this is a short-term issue in our community. We're not gonna be dealing with COVID-19 forever. We are probably going to have to manage some version of it, much like we manage other seasonal complications in our community, but we're not gonna be dealing with quarantine and work from home forever. So recognize that your resilience is about encouraging yourself and being kind to yourself and understanding what you can control and what you can do in the community. And maybe what you can do is decrease your drinking at home from a six pack to the beer that you had, you know, once a day when you get home from your end of day. Maybe that's the thing that you can control. You know, I recognize that maybe I've been leaning into this as a, you know, poor coping skill. So I'm going to decrease my substance use from six to four or six to five. And I'm going to slowly work on weaning myself off of this poor coping mechanism. And then maybe I'm going to incorporate 10 minutes of meditation or playing with my kids or reading a book or listening to a podcast or walking around the block to get some sunshine. And so because I'm also a what we call harm reduction therapist, try not to expect yourself to go cold turkey to perfection the minute that this ends. Like, if you are using poor coping skills, it's going to take some time to sort of back off of that and replace them with other sort of more beneficial skills. I really hear you saying two things. One, be truthful with other people and with yourself. It's really hard mm -hmm. to lie to yourself, although it's also pretty easy to wrap that around, you know, delusional thinking. And also yeah. take the long view. Really take the long view. It's so easy to see just this small bit of time really over a lifetime really so a couple of months is not a long time but it feels like that and the hurt is there and the anxiety is there and certainly the many challenges that we have as a society and as individuals are having are, are very much unknown in the in anybody's lifetime we've never experienced anything like this right 
So, I mean, your point that as we go forward, knowing that it's going to be changing and we need to be able to be resilient also seems to back into the conversation about why you need to be really truthful with yourself about what you're doing to be able to cope so that hopefully you have the best chance of being able to cope well. Um, that seems to speak to a lot of the population that still is housed, that still has groceries coming in, that still is able to pay some or all of its bills. But for some of the people that, that you talk about, the, the folks that are living in the encampment down the street from you or other places, how do you think that we all need to uh, you know, bring that message to them about the timeline and the rest of what we are doing as a society? I think there's a couple of tiers to that. One, as a lay person in the community, do what you can that you're comfortable with. If you're not comfortable with establishing a relationship with somebody who maybe has been chronically houseless near you that you see all the time, then don't do that. Don't force yourself to do something that you're discomfortable with. Like, it is not everybody's talent to do outreach. Um, fully recognizing that it's not everybody's talent. But let's say you have some time on your hands and you can volunteer. There's tons of food drives and meal prep and all kinds of things going on in our community in which you can volunteer. And maybe instead of the direct service tier, you're on the service tier and you can go and help a community agency who are considered essential and, you know, pack food boxes or help with outreach um, collection bags with toiletries or blankets or pillows. Um, and then the third tier is maybe you are an amazing baker and you can bake two dozen cookies and drop them off at the hospital or drop them off at one of the community mental health clinics that are still up and operational. Not everything has to be, I'm the one that has to be influential in that person's life. I think about this when I think about crisis, because I do a lot of trainings around sort of de-escalation and, you know, crisis-based situations. And so many people are like, well, what do I need to do? Well, not everybody runs towards the fire. Not everybody is a, you know, fireman suited up with a water hose. We need people who call 911. We need people who stand at the edge of the block so that they know which house to go to or which apartment to go to. And so it takes every single layer of human in our society to be able to really tackle the community-based problems that we have, like houselessness, like substance use, like mental illness and, you know, sort of chronically untreated mental illness. And so recognize that there are many tiers of ways that you can get involved. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't say that sometimes it's not your talent to get involved. Sometimes you don't want to be part of that conversation and that's okay. If you don't want to be part of that conversation and you can't bring a healthy version of acceptance and love and compassion to that, then don't get involved in it. It's, it's totally okay. The other part of that is when we talk about our most chronically need, pop, our chronic need population, the folks that are just really tough to work with and really are kind of set in their ways and really aren't sure how to access help, that really is about a relationship. That's how it starts. It starts with kindness and compassion. And if that's not your talent, then don't do it. But it doesn't mean that that person has somebody who's trying to establish a relationship. So if you see somebody who's in need, then call someone. Call someone so that somebody can get involved. So to add to those questions, one should ask oneself, you know, am I being truthful? Am I taking the long view? 
also to add into that, what have I done for somebody else lately? And what could right. I do? Right. And my talent to do for somebody else in this way, do I need to just get out of the way? I mean, all those right. things are fair and equal, but they're all part of a package in, in coping and walking that path from anxiety to clarity. Is, is, that, is that an approximation of what you mean? Yeah, I think that was a wonderful summation. I should learn how to sum up better. I'm going to take some tips from you. <laughs> well, I, I'm just trying to get to some of the essence of this because for a lot of people, there's so much information, Heather, coming yeah. at them. There's so much happening all the time. Uh, and, and people really doing it for good reasons. And here are a set of resources for this and here are a set of resources for that. And I see a lot of people and I hear from people who say, I'm just in resource overload. I yeah. just wish, you know, shepherd me down or help me a little bit more besides just sending me a whole bunch of links and resources. Um, and yet, you know, that's part of it too. Everybody has to be very much able to do that on his or her own, but trying to have a conversation. And I'm so grateful for the time that we've been able to have this conversation this morning. Is there anything yeah. that, that we should talk about that we haven't talked about in, in the context of moving from anxiety to clarity surrounding what we know about substance abuse and uh, what may be coming down the line. I mean, certainly this seems to be a very rich time for a lot of surveying and a lot of research that maybe we'll see, you know, six months hence or a year from now when we look back through that, that retroactive lens. But for right now, is there anything else that you think that we should talk about regarding substance abuse and how that's affecting each of us as we're in the era of COVID-19? I think that the number one thing that I can encourage people to do, especially if we have a little extra time right now, is to know yourself. Like, try to understand the things that you're good at and the things that you struggle with. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of work or time to take a step back and go, am I good at this? Is this a talent of mine? And, you know, starting to have some self-awareness around the things that we're good at and maybe the things that we struggle with. Are the things that we struggle with things that we need to change or are they things that we just need to recognize that we struggle with? I'm an extraordinarily impatient human being. I want things to change right now. And so, you know, my intention to help create systemic and system-wide change requires that I recognize that I'm an impatient human being and that I, you know, try three times as hard to exercise patience when I'm talking about changing, you know, large state and city run systems. And so, you know, I have to recognize that that's what I'm going to struggle with. I caution everyone who actively drinks to just be aware of what might be changing. That's really the place that you can start at. Um, and I would be, you know, if I didn't mention it, I would probably feel, I would feel probably pretty badly, but just recognize that you're grieving the loss of stuff. And if there are coping skills in your life that are not what they used to be, or you're struggling, recognize that that's okay. And if you need support, reach out to someone so that they can offer that to you. Um, I'm terrible at asking for help. And so it takes a lot for me to call a friend and say, I'm really struggling. And so just recognize that when things are off, have a conversation with somebody about them and, and see, you know, where they're coming from. In terms of substance use, if you feel like you have an issue, call somebody and ask to have a screening done. You know, all of our 
community mental health centers are operational. They may be partially operational, but they're all open in some way. Um, there's online resources that are nationwide. There are screening tools that you can use to see if maybe you might fit into the category that does have a problem. And so use the resources that you have without necessarily having to overload yourself with more because there's lots of stuff out there. Um, and then the last thing I would say is as much as you're being kind to everyone else, just remember to be kind to yourself. It's, it's really a tough time for all of us and we got to do the best we can with what we have. So just take it day by day. It'll, it'll work itself out. Just be intentional and be kind to yourself. As my late mother-in-law would say, sweetheart, you got to take them day by day because that's how they come. And that's always been a little maxim I've carried my head with me. But just all the things that you're saying also means that we might have a silver lining in all of this in that people learn how to better reach out, how to better ask for help, and to know that although it sounds trite to say we're all in this together, there is that thread of humanity that moves through all of us that has needs, that has wants, that is feeling the impact of all of this so deeply. And, and maybe reaching out and talking to other people is a, a pretty good idea and a good skill to learn in all of this as we're coping with, with COVID-19 and what comes after. Heather, thank you so much for the time this morning. Really good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure to be able to spend some time with you. Thank you. Well, we'll do it again sometime, hopefully soon. And for all of you who spent some time with us to hear this conversation, thank you for joining us for another conversation from Anxiety to Clarity. And if you have questions, if you have topics you'd like us to cover, if you have some issues that you think that we need to shine a light on, let us know. You can send me an email to Kozlovb, and I know that that's funny, so I'll spell it for you. It's K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, at SutterHealth.org. Kozlovb at SutterHealth.org. And we will get some of your questions over to our friends at Mental Health America of Hawaii, and they'll be instrumental in getting us answers too. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you next time as we're all trying to move from anxiety to clarity.